Welcome to the Bruce Siski Show. Follow the Bruce Siski Show on Twitter to interact anytime. Got something on your mind? You can text Bruce during the show by using the short code 84454. You're listening to the Bruce Siski Show on 610 and FM 103.9 KDAL. 1012, it is a Wednesday, 18th day of October 2023. Bruce Siski Show on KDAL. Great to have you along. Kind of a soccer day, the way it worked out on the old radio show umv soccer head coach greg kane coming up in just a little bit and we'll uh, get an update on the bulldogs who are pushing for the northern sun conference tournament they got four matches left in the regular season that's to come but uh, we'll start uh, some big news in major league soccer over the last couple of weeks and we just haven't had a lot of time to talk about it quite frankly but uh, minnesota united it did the Friday morning news dump a couple of Fridays ago, firing their the only MLS manager they've had, Adrian Heath, joining us, a man who knows this franchise pretty well, covers MLS and soccer for the Athletic. Jeff Reuter, good morning. Good morning, and, and always thank you for introducing me with one of the great guitar licks of all time. Always feel good. <laughs> well, that's the Stevie Ray version of the uh, of the classic, but it's still good. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Recognized it, actually, to be fair. <laughs> um, so th- this uh, – you and I have chatted quite a bit the last couple of years. I, I don't think that I have to tell you where I stand on what Minnesota United did a couple of Fridays ago. I think it was long overdue um, for, a, for a variety. And it's not it's nothing personal at all. It, it's just what I've been seeing on the field, you know, over and over and over again, especially this season. Like the, something has to change here, or this is never going to change. Uh, but that said, yeah. That said, when I got that email Friday morning, whatever a couple of Fridays ago, whatever that date was, I almost fell off my chair. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, and, and I think this is actually, when we talk about how forgiving, one thing that we talk about when we cover Major League Soccer is that its playoff format is very forgiving, and it, as a result, it is something over 65% of the league makes the playoffs, and it's something that clubs use to justify keeping mediocre managers. And unfortunately, the, the prime case study of this example proving true was Minnesota United over the last four years. Look, only one team in Major League Soccer from the Western Conference made the playoffs in each of the last four years from 2019 to 2022. You can figure out who it is based on our conversation. It was Adrian Heath's Minnesota United, right? And, and so, I, I, look, we can't really fire the guy. He's getting us in the playoffs. Even LAFC and Seattle are missing the playoffs. So, we must be doing something right. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it was the same product every single year. It was over-reliant on individual greatness from Emmanuel Reynoso. It was over-reliant on feasting in transition and just hoping the other team makes mistakes rather than trying to create brilliance in your own right. Um, It wasn't dependable. And I think most uh, glaringly of all this year is they couldn't do it at home. The the, the over-reliance on playing in transition and that when they had more of the ball at home and when the pressure was on them to entertain the fans, uh, they just couldn't do it. They only won four games at home this year out of 17. Uh, that is, if I remember right, the second worst return of any MLS team this year, only ahead of the team that's going to finish last in the MLS tape. Like you said, at a certain point, something's got to give. So, you know, I, I look back at this season, and, and the most frustrating thing for me, it's not necessarily just the four home wins in 17 matches, 
but it's in general the number of times that this team had a lead in the second half, had a lead in the last quarter hour of a match, and they couldn't close the deal and get the three points. They had you know, there are too many times that they would draw or even worse yet lose a match that they led in the final quarter hour, and and that's to me that's not acceptable. At some point, you got to figure out how to close these matches. These these points you're giving away are way too important as we're seeing now with with Minnesota fighting for its life this weekend. Yeah, I mean, shockingly, again, to talk about MLS's format, Minnesota is still in playoff contention, and it's not going to be – it's not one of those where you have to make a whole origami out of a piece of paper to try to find a way for them to get in the playoffs, right? All they're going to have to do is win this weekend and then get one of four results to go their way. That's a pretty favorable thing for any team, whether you're talking about football, soccer, baseball, you name it. So that's that's where things stand on that front. Um, But the the flip side of it is the drop points. And if you look – minutes of games this season if they had collected nine of those less than half of those points but still you know nine they would be in second place in the western conference this year with how the table is sitting so it is truly like just a fundamental difference of how we are viewing the team how adrian heath is viewing his future where he's living next year all of these things simply come down to his late game management and it was one of the the kind of recurring topics actually of his tenure was that we would be asking him why aren't you making subs before the 75th minute like most coaches why aren't you using all five subs the new rule because of COVID-19 and protecting players bodies as we keep throwing new competitions on new competitions on top of their schedules why aren't you using these subs and his response was never something of you know uh, tactical uh, preference it was never something that seemed rooted by his coaching um, kind of ideology. Instead, it was always turning it back on us and making it something like, oh, the media and Americans and your fascinations with substitution. Nah, man, I think now we realize you can't just run players into the ground and they'll be able to drink themselves and take Adderall all the time until they're able to go again the following weekend like you could in the 1980s in England, right? And so it was just a simple case of you have this team where you have 30 players, and it's a small roster by soccer standards, but that's plenty where you can do some good rotation. You're the guy who's in charge of signing the players, too. So theoretically, you should be getting guys that you say, hey, I trust them for 30 minutes off the bench in a 2-1 game. And instead, it continually was pull attackers to bring on extra defenders, bunker in, hope the other team doesn't figure it out. And surprise, surprise, most of the time this year, other teams figured it out. Jeff Ruto, The Athletic. We're talking Minnesota United. So this is that awkward spot, and and I've seen this a couple times, late season coaching changes with teams that are contending for playoff spots. In fact, my beloved Brewers did it in 2008. They fired Ned Yost with 12 games left in the season, ended up making the playoffs under interim manager Dale Swaim. So, so yes, I understand Minnesota's got a chance to make the playoffs this weekend. I even understand that even though Kansas City's a place that's been a house of horrors for them, that all they have to do is beat a team that's got the same number of points as them this season. Season, and there's a very, very good chance they're going to go to the postseason. That being said, I also want to look ahead here. Uh, you know, what kind of you know tangible changes are even a, po- a realistic possibility in this organization? Because we all know it wasn't just Adrian Heath that, uh, to blame here. Yeah, I, I think that there's going to be a few different things, and so I'll just kind of break it in chronological order here. First, they're going to need to figure out who is going to take over as the general manager, sporting director, whatever they decide to call the role, the person who's signing the players and deciding on contracts and ultimately leading the coaching search. Right now, that is the most important role, I would argue, in any MLS franchise is the person who's signing the players and the coaches. It seems pretty obvious, but I think so often we get blinded by looking at the coach 
um, that we, we forget that the person who actually chooses the coach and the players who are playing for the coach is probably more important. The thing is, right now there isn't a single person in that organization who has high-level experience in soccer on a sporting level. So you're going to be looking at either the guy who's uh, you know, Dr. Bill McGuire, who has owned the club now for over a decade, but has by and large deferred all sporting decisions to either Adrian Heath or Manny Lagos in the NASL era beforehand, or you have uh, Sherry Ballard, who was formerly the CEO of Best Buy, um, and has done very well to kind of help sophisticate the organization and get you know kind of a better energy about the front office, but has never again worked in soccer before this job, which she started, I believe, midway through 2022. So uh, you do have a, a very, very different um, – I mean, I'll just go ahead and say it. You, you have a group of people who are going to have to make this hire who have no idea, frankly, what to do with this hire. And so the fear is that you're going to do what a lot of MLS franchises have done and hire an outside consulting group. And these consulting groups always have an agenda. and They always just kind of put their candidate who's been out of a job the longest into these jobs. And the success rate of MLS teams with these consulting groups is probably something like 15 20%. So – that's not a good sign if that's the route that they go, but we'll see. The second thing you do then is, of course, you hire the coach. You're assuming it's going to be someone who's in lockstep with that general manager, which is necessary these days to actually have any sort of success. We'll see how that goes, um, but that's going to be the big headlining acquisition. And then you need to turn over the roster. The defense is old. The midfield is ineffective. I'd say there are probably two players among the six who played in the midfield most often who are still starting caliber in Major League Soccer, and those would be Hassani Dotson and Kervin Ariaga. So you kind of need to figure out what you're doing with the rest of the midfield because that is such a vital part of controlling games late when you're leading by one goal, the exact situation that got Adrian Heath fired. And then from there you need to look and you need to crystallize how are you going to get help for Emmanuel Reynoso in creating chances so that it isn't just him feeding Bongi Longwana and Tim Opuki next year. You have the goal-scoring threat. You have the top assist guy. You just need one other player who's going to be able to pull the strings like Kevin Molino did. They're not that far off. This is going to be one of the most sought-after head coaching vacancies of the eight or nine I expect there to be in Major League Soccer this offseason. The question is just going to be, what do they do for that sporting director hire, and do they have a process that is going to allow them to succeed in that rather than making mistakes that other organizations have, which have sunk them for five years or longer? How much power did Adrian Heath wield in terms of, you know, yes, he wasn't the, the, the sporting director, but how much power did he wield in terms of the personnel decisions that were made, and, and was that maybe in line with, with other teams in, in, in the league? Yeah, I, I think after uh, after the 2020 season, or sorry, after the 2019 season when they first made the playoffs, they gave Adrian Heath the final say on all player signings, and so there would still be Manny Lagos above him who is signing the contracts. But that's pretty much the extent, as well as helping with the flow of the academy to the first team. That's something Manny Lagos still does for the organization. But it was Adrian Heath's final say. He was the one telling technical director Mark Watson where to go on his scouting trips and who to sign or who to try to negotiate with. Mark Watson was doing the legwork to sign like Emmanuel Reynoso and Damo Gugi, but it was Adrian Heath's call at the end of the day to go after those players in particular. And that's a very rare structure these days in Major League Soccer. It kind of used to be the case, right? And I think that, you know, if you go over to England, that was always Sir Alex Ferguson's thing with Manchester United. was okay, I'm going to be the one to sign the players, and I'm going to be the one to coach the players. And then when Sir Alex left, the other coaches couldn't do the same thing, and Manchester United hasn't won a thing since because they have not gotten that dynamic right between the sporting director and the head coach. And you look at Minnesota United now, the other M United, and 
it, you you have a very rare for MLS. Only four teams out of 29 entered the year with the head coach having final say over roster decisions. Two of the other ones were dismissed in the middle of this season. Uh, Bruce Arena for conduct issues and Bob Bradley for poor performance and kind of frankly an overreaction on Toronto's part. And then the other one is Sporting Kansas City's Peter Vermees. So three out of the four were ousted this year. The other one might miss the playoffs and is on the hottest seat that he's had in his career throughout the season despite signing an extension over the offseason. It's uh, it's a very dated sort of way to go about building a soccer team. So, I, I frankly, I would be shocked if that is the route that Minnesota United chooses to go as they're looking about replacing Adrian Heath. Bongi Hwangwane is one of the better young players in this league, in my estimation. He is the, the, the development this year, it's been amazing to watch him get better. He has, there's an obvious popularity with the fan base. They, they love this guy in Minnesota. You know, when you look at the future, is there anybody else on this roster, maybe under the age of 25, that you think has a, has a bright future in this league and, and, and is going to deserve a really strong look going into 2024? Yeah, the hard part is this Adrian Heath didn't really sign guys under 25. Yeah. <laughs> that's why kind of why I wanted to bring that up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the hard part of it, right? Like, you, you follow this team closely. I know you do. We'd have GMs on Twitter all the time, even when I wasn't on the show. Like, it's, it's a case where Dane St. Clair is probably the closest thing they have to another top prospect because for goalkeepers, 26 is very young. Yeah. So he is someone who you still can build around for five, six, seven years. Or you can sell him to a club, I would genuinely say, possibly in the top five leagues of Europe, and you can accrue a couple million dollars of transfer fees. So that's that's positive. Uh, Zhang Seng Ben is going to be another one who was Adrian Heath's kind of last attempt at a player under 22 years old who he was just going to kind of take over and develop. It didn't work with Tomas Chacon. It didn't really work with Romario Ibarra. But uh, Zhang Seng Ben is someone who got into dangerous spaces a lot. He has a lot of energy. He is quick on the press, which is necessary in the modern game. He will defend despite being an attacker, which is good. Um, if you can get him more confident and if you can get him to sort of figure out your main role in this attack, uh, is either to score goals or to create goals. And that is something that players kind of need that delineation because it, it informs every decision you make on the field. Am I doing this? Am I making this run to set a teammate up or am I making this run to try to score the goal myself? And you have Tamo Puki and you have Bongi Longwane who are the goal scorers now, and that's very good. So let's see if we can get Jung Sang Bin from South Korea, a youth international who used to play for Wolverhampton Wanderers, uh, or at least was loaned out often by Wolverhampton Wanderers from the Premier League to Switzerland. Um, if you can get him to kind of buy into being that facilitator and being that sort of second pass guy while also still being able to take his own shot, he's probably a player who you could see with, let's say, six goals and maybe seven or eight assists. Um, and that's a fantastic fourth option for an attack. Um, beyond that, though, uh, Kervin Ariaga is pretty young. I think he's about 23, 24 years old. He would be another one. Joseph Rosales, uh, a fellow Honduran, is another one. He can play a little bit of left back. He can play in the midfield. So, there's a few players that you would look at, but no, by and large, when you look at the most important players, Emmanuel Reynoso is 27, 28 years old. Michael Boxel, 34 years old right now, I believe. Uh, Tamo Puki, 33, 34 years old. Um, this is a core that's going to need to be turned over, but I will say there are some pieces who, again, candidates for this job will find to be very intriguing to coach in the future. Jeff, we have about 90 seconds left. That brings me to the last question, which is how vital, whoever's taking this thing over on, on the sporting side, how vital is it that they get their the youth side of things going at a clip that they haven't been able to yet. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be vital. The, the, the most successful 
products of the academy of their homegrown era have actually been players who left and were signed by other academies who accrued them allocation money. Caden Clark is going to be one of those players who they actually will sign next year, who's a young project player who's kind of lost his way over the last couple of years, um, but is someone who could be very promising for them in the attack and fill that sort of second facilitator role that they need. Um, but right now, very few teams get less out of their academies than Minnesota United does. And you can say that you question the amount of talent in the Midwest in these five states, but that's pretty much the territory Minnesota has. And I can tell you, there's some pretty dang good players who have come from the Midwest, from Wisconsin, from Minnesota, from Iowa, from the Dakotas. So I think that it'll be only advantageous, especially as you're looking at how you build out the back half of your roster and how you get that sort of continuity of club culture to tap into it to a greater extent than they have been. Um, and that is work that is going to remain largely on Manny Lagos. Name is McGee's played two people who have been with the organization since 2016 or earlier in Manny Lagos' case. Um, now we'll see if they're ready for the close-up. Jeff, appreciate you, all. appreciate you as always, sir. Enjoy what's left here of the fall, all right? Absolutely, Bruce. You take care. All right, Jeff Reuter, The Athletic. Theathletic.com is the website. Check it out. Subscribe, etc. 1028. More to come. Wednesday edition, Bruce Siski Show, 610-103.9 KDAL. This is the Golden Gopher Daily Update. I'm Mike Grimm. Minnesota takes on Big Ten football rival Iowa this Saturday in Iowa City. We'll preview next. We are professionals. We are family and friends. We are volunteers. We are community partners. We are a team dedicated to helping you succeed. We help protect and serve America's businesses. When you need us, we're here to help. At Federated Mutual Insurance Company, it's our business to protect yours. Rated A-plus superior by AM Best Company. Golden Gopher head coach P.J. Fleck knows Saturday's game is a big one. It's a huge rivalry game. We've talked to our players what it means. They understand that. A lot of guys who have been here understand that. Uh, they know how close we've been. And uh, we kind of do the history of the rivalry just like we do every other rivalry game. Uh, but we're going in and play a top 25 team. We know that. Uh, they know all the facts that everybody reports. Uh, but we just got to go in and play our best game, offense, defense, special teams. I mean, this team is... Uh, still has not played their best football yet, and that's my responsibility and my job to get them to. And um, hopefully they can do that on, on Saturday afternoon. As for the rivalry itself? Obviously it means a lot. It means a lot to our fan base. It means a lot to our players. It means a lot to our state, as it does uh, Iowa's team. You know, they've had a lot of success in, in, in years past. Uh, I don't. I think we've we haven't won there since 1999. Um, and we've won two games and two times in 40. Is that right? Two times in 40, 40 games or uh, or 40 years. Uh, that's not a lot. So um, you know we've got to work it out for us. We know how good they are. That's Gopher head coach PJ Fleck. For more info on Saturday's game, go to gophersports.com. That's the Golden Gopher Daily Update. I'm Mike Grimm. AM 610, KDAL, News, Weather, Sports. Plenty more to come on this Wednesday edition. Good to have you along. The UMD soccer team embarking on the stretch run of the regular season. Four matches to go, starting with the last weekend of the home season. Coming up at Miloski Stadium, we preview with the longtime head coach of the Bulldogs, Greg Kane. He joins after a CBS News update, 1034 on KDAL. The Bruce Siski Show. The one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. America is ruled by like an army of steamrollers. 
has been erased like a blackboard, rebuilt and erased again. But baseball has marked the time. This field, this game, is a part of our past, Ray. It reminds us of all that once was good and it could be again. On 610 and FM 103.9 KDAL. 1039. I will not be here tomorrow. Best off for you tomorrow. Friday, UMD men's hockey senior, fifth-year senior, graduate transfer Connor McMenamin, and Bemidji State coach Tom Saratori also on the radio show with us on Friday. As the uh, Bulldog men take on Bemidji State this weekend, 7 o'clock Friday in Duluth, 6 o'clock Saturday in Bemidji, both games live here on KDAL. Joining us now, the head coach of the UMD soccer team is Greg Kane. Good morning, sir. Morning, Bruce. Thanks for having me. Thanks for doing this. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. Uh, season's starting to wind down for you guys. You've got a couple of weekends left, including a home this weekend for the final time of the regular season. Well, we'll talk about Southwest and Sioux Falls coming up, but but it's first, you know, four five and the three is the record. Four five and five, sorry, is the record. Three three and four in league play. Seventh place in the NSIC. How do you feel about your group right now? Uh, I feel good about our group. We we've seen progress in the last uh, couple of weeks. Um, our results may not uh, overwhelmingly prove that as we have a number of ties in there, but um, we've made good progress. We're competing really well. Um, you know, last weekend we were on the road. We got four or six points. That's a good sign. Um, you know, this is the time of year that you know you really, really have to make sure that you're coming out of each game with something, whether it's one point or three points. And you know, now we're in a now we're in a battle for uh, you know playoff spots, so that's that's a good place to be. Uh, last weekend, you go to Moorhead, you get a Friday win, and like you said, three points is always so vital this time of year. I know disappointed to not close the deal against Northern State, a team that has yet to lose in conference play this year. But I, what did you think about how your team played out in Aberdeen? Uh, we played very well at Aberdeen. We had a few moments uh, where we just uh, turned the lights off. And they took advantage. Uh, a team that hasn't lost yet in conference play, they're going to figure out a way to win, and that's what happened. But I was real pleased with our uh, our approach to the game, our mental attitude in the game. We we had a two zero lead, and um, you know, just kind of fumbled it a little bit, and uh, but it showed good progress for our team uh, that we could go out on the road against a good team and dictate play and get a lead. So I, I was real encouraged. Now, since we last spoke, uh, so Anatolia said she said that uh, she had the uh, the fastest hat trick in Division Two soccer history. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, Jackie Jarrett set a program record for the fastest two goals in that non-conference match against Northern State back in September. So, you guys have scored goals in bunches a couple different times this year, which has got to be good to see. Yeah, um, you know the, those two are, are leading the the way for us right now statistically. Um, they both play forward uh, positions. And, um, you know, if one of them is clicking, um, you know, that's a good sign for us. It really does unsettle uh, teams. If both are clicking, um, in the last couple of games that's been the case, we've had really good attack play, and um, teams are definitely unsettled by uh, our constant ability to to get behind or or threaten, and those two are really the tip of that uh, threat. Talking to UMD soccer coach Greg Kane, you know, what do you think of your scoring balance this year? You, you've gotten some offense from different positions, offense from different players, which again, you know, the more threats you have, the tougher you are to defend. It doesn't matter what sport you're playing. Yeah, you want more prongs to your attack for sure, unless you're so overwhelmingly convincing with with one, which uh, doesn't happen at our level too much. 
Um, but yeah, we've had from uh, multiple positions. We've also had from um, multiple classes. We have uh, you know a freshman that's come in and scored a couple important goals for us. Jess Eichens. We have a sophomore that's uh, really rising now. Mim Marson is showing her um, you know attacking ability. So um, we have our backliners that have gotten involved. So we that is a, a threat of our of our team is our balance uh, in attack and what we can do that way. Defensively, Rachel Belke is back after being an all-conference player last year. She leads your team in minutes at over 1,200 this season, which it, it, it tells me the reliance on her defensively, how good she can be for you, and, and how she led the way for your defensive, uh, the defensive side of things for you this season. No question. Uh, she she loves to try and jump up in the play. Um, she's actually a high-risk, high-reward type of player. Um, we probably had a little bit more risk than we wanted there. But then you balance that, and she has a really good partner, um, a, a fifth-year season. Lauren Hansen, one of our captains, has really come in and balanced um, uh, Rachel, and that has really provided some stability for us. We're still collectively not as sharp as we need to be. Um, we're, we leak a little bit here and there, and, and we need to tighten tighten some of those things up yet when you have a player who wants to get involved offensively from the back end I, I, as a coach I'm sure it, it, you know the risk reward thing it's, it's good and bad because you 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 don't you, you want to harness all that talent but at the same time you do have to take care of that back end first absolutely and and uh, we experienced that last Sunday she she scored a, a, a beautiful goal off of a corner a nice volley uh, she got to the ball first and just you know buried it and then um, you know, she she gave one up. You know, on a, on a decision that, you know, she probably shouldn't have made. And so, on balance, on that day, she was uh, she was she was equal. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's but, a way of looking at it. I like that. Uh, you know, teams do recognize that that uh, we we are threatening from from different areas, and uniquely we can be from the back with her, um, and that that's uh, that's helping build our build our game and make us a more formidable team right now. Talking to UMD soccer coach Greg Kane. Uh, we mentioned uh, back when the, we previewed the season that you lost your longtime assistant coach, Kelly Gerges Wheeler. She's now uh, running the, the communications department at UMD and doing a wonderful job. Uh, kind of a late hire, but how has Sydney Burrell fit into your coaching staff and, and just the overall group? Well, first of all, Sydney has, has more than fit in. She has just really um, taken the reins of, of uh, high responsibility of a assistant coach um, for our program and, and it's just been a really really tremendous asset for us um, she and myself get along very well we see the game in similar ways we we deliver um, you know message in similar ways I really I really like how she interacts with the players and the players have already you know demonstrated high respect for her so she's been a, a tremendous asset um, as far as Kelly goes uh, you know I, I, I don't look at it as losing her I look at it as her um, she wandered downstairs to a to a probably a better position for her and her family, and I was very excited that she had that opportunity. And um, you know all the quality that she has in that uh, in that area. So um, she's I know she's doing quite well there. Oh my goodness, it's uh, it's been amazing watching her even in a you know, month and a half, whatever it's been here since we really got going, kind of grow into this uh, gig, and it, it's going to be fun to work with her. I think as we go forward uh, this weekend, you guys have Southwest Minnesota State Friday. Sioux Falls on Sunday, which is senior day. Uh, senior class, uh, you'll be uh, kind of playing the last home games, and you, I'm sure you've got some fourth years that might want to come back. Uh, have those decisions been made yet? And, and how many seniors do you know you're saying goodbye to this weekend? That's a good question, Bruce. 
I know we have two fifth years that won't be back. Right. I know that sure. <laughs> I I think we're uh, we're, we're recognizing uh, nine. I believe there's there's a couple that will still have some eligibility. Those decisions have not finally been made yet, um, but that'll be a big day. And really, it's just a huge weekend for us as those two teams are directly behind us in the point standings, and they both have a game in hand. So this is uh, this is critical time for us, and I, I like how we're uh, rising to the challenge. Um, you know, of a bit of the pressure right now. We talk about, you know, the f- well, fourth years have decisions to make. This is the last group of fourth years that has that decision to make. For you as a coach, I've asked other sports coaches this. I want to get your perspective. You know, on the Division Two side, what does this mean for you that this is the last group of fourth years that has this decision to make about potentially returning for a fifth? Yeah, you know, for me and our program, Bruce, it, it wasn't as impactful um, – you know, our women come in and they really look at a four-year plan academically. And um, as much as they like to play, it's that, that's really a priority for them. And I don't, I don't want to hold them back. And um, you know, I tell them, look, if graduation is the priority for you and uh, you want to do that in as uh, earnest amount of time, well, then that's what you should be doing. And you know, they've served the team well, whether it's been three years or four years, and. Um, you know, our, our program's a little bit more academically inclined, so we have players that have moved on um, more so than actually taken that fifth year. I know you were busy uh, the night of the Hall of Fame induction, but uh, Nicole Feets, what's it mean to see her go into the UMB Athletic Hall of Fame? Well, you want to see players um, have recognition that demonstrated more you know, passion and love for the game than than most other players, than the majority of other players. And she was simply one of those players who, you know, she wanted to be on the field all the time by herself with teammates, always trying to get better. Uh, She followed the game. She was a fan. Um, She just put everything into it. uh, Wasn't asking for a lot out of it. Um, And to see her get recognition for her achievement, um, which was, you know, well-earned, um, you know, that that's real satisfying for me, and, and of course it was very deserving for her. She, in her induction speech, she told the story of, of first meeting you on the recruiting trail. Do you remember the first time you saw her play? I remember seeing her play at the National Sports Center down in Blaine. She was an underage player, and her uh, her technique stood out right away. I think that's pretty much what she said too. <laughs> so that's 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 impressive. I like that recall. I I was just I was curious. I was trying trying in my head to remember exactly what she said. And as soon as you said National Sports Center, I'm like, yep, that's what she said. I remember it. Yeah. Well, she's one of those players that, as a coach, you remember. Yeah. I mean, a long time, but you know, you do remember you know certain things about certain players because, and because she was such a you know significant player in our program. I do remember that, and um, she really um, impressed me because she was left-footed, which is very unusual, and I've always placed a high premium on left-footed players since then because of what she proved that you know she can do from the left side of the field. And if you have that in your team, um, it's unlike most, and it's, it, it's a difficult thing to manage. Big games this weekend. Southwest on Friday at 6, Sioux Falls on Sunday at 1. I hope you get a couple of wins this weekend. Thanks for doing it. And congrats, by the way, on 30 years at the helm. Thank you, Bruce. I appreciate it. And uh, hope to see you soon. All right, Greg Kane, you got it. Head soccer coach up at UMD, the only coach that program has ever known.
and he's done a wonderful job. Hopefully the Bulldogs do well this weekend and find their way into the NSIC tournament in a couple of weeks. 6 p.m. Friday versus Southwest, 1 p.m. Sunday versus Sioux Falls. Info at umvbulldogs.com. 10.50 can wrap it up in a moment. Bruce Siski Show, Wednesday morning edition, 610-103.9 KDAL.